we're rounding down, winding down, rounding the bend on our series on the Beatitudes, teachings of Jesus that begin the, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, and let's say together, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the needy, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you today, give you glory today. Jesus, be our teacher today. Holy Spirit, empower, enlighten our minds that we might hear afresh, anew. As you draw us in to the triune life of mission, life with you, Lord, turns the tables, flips our scripts, makes us think twice. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's exhilarating, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's joyful. We yield our hearts to you now by your spirit. Impress upon us what you'd have each of us know and do and be in these moments. Come, Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Jesus does have this way of flipping the script, you know? He doesn't always say what the culture says. And there are some things in what we've been reading in the Beatitudes here that... Yeah, they sync up pretty well with, with some things in culture and other things. They completely flip it around. This one's kind of in between because peacemaking is kind of universally accepted. It's kind of hard to argue with peace, right? And yet at a visceral level, well, this is an anxious, angry time in our world, isn't it? It's anything but anything but peaceful out there right now. So much anxious thinking, so much anxious relating, so much anxious planning, so much angry driving, so much angry posting, so much angry talking. The Greek word for peacemaker here is used only here in the New Testament, but the root word, irene, is used at least 90 times in the New Testament. One helpful place to look for, kind of the, for the semantic field, the broad meaning of this idea of peace, is the Septuagint. This was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So how does the Greek translation of the Old Testament 
use the word irene. So when they got to the Hebrew word shalom, that's when they used the same word irene, irene. So the idea of shalom means peace, prosperity, success, welfare, friendliness, deliverance, salvation. The semantic field of the word is huge. The meaning is huge. It's, it's a big, massive word, shalom. And it's irene that the Greek scholars who translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek used for the word shalom. So this idea of irene, being a peacemaker, has shalom in the background of it. So it's more than just stopping a fight to keep the peace. The Lord has more in mind here. It's more holistic. It's affects, affecting the whole. It's a peace that affects the whole. That's what shalom is about. And notice here, as one commentator points out, besides the connection between irene and peacemaking and the Hebrew idea of shalom, which really broadens the whole idea out, notice that Jesus does not merely say, blessed are the peaceful. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. The peace in view here is something we make. Now, of course, we make this deep, rich peace because we know the one who is himself our peace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 14, he, Christ himself, is our peace. It's helpful then to conceive of peacemaking as creating, weaving connections, moments, relationships, service, peacemaking out of the presence of the Prince of Peace. So we don't, we're not the originators. We don't make the peace itself, but we peace make out of the one who is living peace. We work out his presence and, and we work out of his presence in his life, death and resurrection. We have peace to make, but we only can make this peace because he's made it first in his very self. He's got our backs. Consider more from Ephesians 2, in which St. Paul declares, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, our works don't ever save us. Scripture is clear about that. Only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saves us. But as we're swept up in the work of Jesus Christ, God recreates us and then sends us out to do works of peacemaking, works that are waiting for us every day, everywhere, in every place. Dale Bruner points out that the English word peace usually refers either to inner tranquility, peace of mind, or to an outward state, the absence of war. But biblical shalom which we say is the background of the Greek word here, conveys a different picture. It conveys the picture of a circle. It means communal well-being in every direction and every relation in the circle. The person in the center of the circle is related justly to every point on the circumference of the circle. So it's being in the center and relating outward in a peaceful way. While the English word peace tends either to be a tiny inward point or a large external space, the Hebrew word depicts a circle 
embracing the whole community, internally and externally. If we could translate it, Bruner says, blessed are the circle makers, and we can make sense of that, we would. To bring peace in scripture is to bring community. Peacemakers are reconcilers. One of my favorite examples of an attempt at public reconciliation was done by Frank Sinatra. Old blue eyes himself. You may remember, you can find this on the internet. It's on YouTube and it's, one, it's really cool. Frank set up a reunion of Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin during the 1976 Jerry Lewis Muscular Dystrophy Telethon. Remember this? Here's the background on it. You may or may not know, depending on your level of vintage, <laughs> that Lewis and Martin had a very successful comedy music duo for about a decade. Lewis and Martin toured together 1946 and 1956. So this would be if like Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran went on tour together, okay? Translate for the, for the uh, younger ones among us. But Dean and Jerry had a falling out and they separated and then it was, it was over. As recounted in Don Liebenson's article from a few years back in Vanity Fair, Dean Martin's daughter, Deanna, said, Dean and Jerry loved each other. There was something amazing about dad, Dean's daughter said. He was nice and sweet and kind to everyone, and he would let things go. But, he, but when he had it up to here, he'd had it up to here. There was no fight or any yelling. He would just be done. And so as recounted in the article, an insurmountable abyss gradually grew between Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Imagine an abyss growing between Ed, Ed, Sharon, and Taylor Swift, right? So it was up to Frank Sinatra, kind of like Beyonce, okay? I'm trying to translate here. <laughs> it was up to Frank Sinatra to stage a reconciliation. Mark Rosano, Jerry Lewis's manager, said, he's the only person who could have achieved something like that. No one in the Sinatra or Martin families was aware of his plan. I was as surprised as everybody else, Nancy Sinatra said in an email. My dad really knew how to keep a secret. Dean Martin's daughter, who has performed on the telethon, found out years later from the telethon co-host, Ed McMahon, that Frank had secreted Dean into Ed's dressing room. So Liebenson writes, the reunion set up like this. That evening, September 5th, 1976, Frank Sinatra had just performed live on the Jerry Lewis telethon instead of, instead of remote performing for the first time in over 20 years. Frank did his set and presented Jerry, Jerry Lewis, with a couple of donations, including one for $5,000 on behalf of his grandchildren. Listen, he told Jerry, I have a friend who loves you I have a friend who loves what you do every year and who just wanted to come out. Could you send my friend out, please? And then out walked Dean Martin to raucous applause and to the utter shock of Jerry Lewis, who apparently hadn't seen or talked to him in two decades. Imagine that. And suddenly, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis reunited, embracing and joking on stage for the first time in 20 years. There they were. Here they are, folks, beamed Sinatra, 
mic in his right hand, his left arm draped on Jerry's shoulder. The standing ovation lasted more than a minute. The moment, including their moving embrace, received worldwide attention. Why did Frank Sinatra go to all the trouble to make this happen? The answer is in Sinatra's words themselves. After he brought Dean and Jerry together on stage to the audience's wild applause, Sinatra just said, I think it's about time, don't you? The gospel announcement isn't that different, really. It is about time for the peace that passes understanding, as St. Paul says, the peace that only the person and work of Jesus can bring, as he is the only one who can rescue humanity from our own insurmountable abyss between God and each other, to draw us back into the embrace of the triune God of grace and push us out to our connection with each other. Any time we see any persons advancing the cause of relational reconciliation, any time we see, as Christ followers, anyone of any belief moving to bring estranged people together, I gotta believe, based on this text, that Jesus is pleased by that. He is the peacemaker. He wants to bless peacemakers. And so we wanna jump in on such efforts as Jesus promises to bless all peacemakers. Whether or not Sinatra was a confessing Christian, his work to bring Jerry and Dean back together was certainly pleasing to the Lord of the universe, whether Frank acknowledged him or not. Theologian George Hunsinger, writing in his book on the Beatitudes, declares, all efforts to eliminate social cruelty, hostile division, and crying injustice, whether inside or outside the church, flow from the peace of Christ. Whether wittingly or unwittingly, and sometimes only obliquely, these efforts objectively attest to the peace of Christ, and they mediate it in some way to the world. While good works are insufficient to justify anyone before God, Frank was never going to earn his place with God by bringing Jerry and Dean back together, okay? But anyone who makes peace between people certainly honors the God who justifies by grace. And when we join such efforts, we can invite the peacemakers to know the God who's a peacekeeper himself. A key part of our evangelism is to step alongside those who have a heart to make peace and to introduce them to the Prince of Peace. As I told a college student one time at Seattle Central Community College, I either told him or I said this about him, but I said, you have or he has God's heart for peace, but he's missing God. <laughs> that would be a tiring place to be, wouldn't it? To try to make peace without the peacemaker. That, that could crush you. I think it is Christ in me that has drawn me again and again to watch that video of peacemaking at the Jerry Lewis telethon. It draws me in. It is a moment of shalom. It's beautiful. You can Google it and check it out. What peacemaking moments draw you in? It's an important question. Christian scholar D.A. Carson points out, Jesus does not limit the peacemaking to only one kind, and neither will his disciples. In light of the gospel, Jesus himself is the supreme peacemaker, making peace between God and man and man and man. 
Our peacemaking will include the promulgation of that gospel. It must also extend to seeking all kinds of reconciliation. Instead of delighting in division, bitterness, strife, or some petty divide and conquer mentality, disciples of Jesus delight to make peace wherever possible. And Dr. Carson goes on to point out one more thing, that this beatitude must have shocked the zealots when Jesus preached it because they had political passions that were inflamed at the time. They were mad at Rome. They were mad at being underfoot of the man, so to speak, you know? Um, with good reason. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They might be like, what? Aren't we at war? It's a regular temptation for God's people to let anger over any given issue become our motivator. Even a legitimate point of debate, even anger that is justified, though, must never be allowed to displace our call to be peacemakers. The call is clear. We are to trust our Lord's blessing when we make peace more than we trust the impact of our anger to make change. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus did not say, blessed are the culture warriors who fight hard for the Christian voice to be heard and win arguments. <laughs> now, for sure, there are battles worth fighting. We have a just war tradition that our denomination, our, our Presbyterian history is a part of. I'm sure we also have pacifists within our denomination too. There's certainly good debate there about that whole topic. I believe with other Christians that there is biblical merit to the idea of dealing with uh, terrorism and genocide through a just war tradition. I think there, there, there is a time when to keep the peace, you may have to wage war. You may disagree and that's okay. We may have diversity here about that and that's okay. But most of us won't encounter terrorism and genocide on a daily basis most of us will encounter anger and anxiety on a daily basis. Most of us won't encounter violence on a daily basis, but most of us will almost certainly encounter resistance to our Christian beliefs and even rejection of those beliefs on a regular basis. And as we face anger and anxiety and resistance and rejection, it's always tempting to trust our power moves more than trusting moving with the Prince of Peace. But our Lord will shape our moves differently than our instincts much of the time. Why didn't he swing on Pilate <laughs> when Pilate was before him? Why didn't he throw down, show him who's boss? No, he was chill. My kingdom is not of this world. He was cool, cool customer. It was a, it was a confrontation, but it was one in peace. Our Lord calls us to drive as peacemakers instead of racing someone to that exit, right? Our Lord calls us to talk as peacemakers instead of talking anxiously and with fury. Our Lord calls us to debate as peacemakers instead of yelling loudly. Our Lord calls us to post on social media as peacemakers instead of using language that cuts and shreds the opposition. Our Lord calls us to relate as peacemakers instead of relating begrudgingly. Our Lord calls us to lead as peacemakers instead of leading by leveraging an us versus them mentality. 
Remember what we said, Dr. Bruner's beautiful point. Biblical shalom is a circle. Communal well-being in every direction. This is the peace, the outward peace that we're called to. So that the person in the center of the circle is related justly to every point on the circumference of the circle. Bruner concludes, there are many unnoticed, unheralded people in the world who are beneficently at work at some particular point in the circle of their struggling communities. All those who give their lives to rounding the circle, to creating just communities, and to bringing reconciliation to warring parties are dignified here by Jesus with membership in the very family of God. People who work to round out our world's warped sphere, specifically to bring justice, jobs, and peace to eliminate poverty, enmity, and disease, they are called children of God. One thinks of groups like Doctors Without Borders in AIDS-ravaged Africa, or individuals and groups everywhere in the world helping other individuals and groups. But you know, it is true that sometimes the call to be a peacemaker can be anything but peaceful. Jesus showed that the way of peace in his own life often runs through conflict. We must be aware that as we move with our Prince of Peace, we have to look at what he encountered and expect to encounter the same. It will not be easy to be a peacemaker. The secret of sticking to it is always and everywhere remembering who is the center of the center. The center is not whoever is attacking us. The center is not the battlefield itself. The center is not our ability to respond strongly and convincingly to whatever is hitting us and hit back. You know the center. The center is the peacemaker himself. Where we peacemake out of the peace he has made in himself. The peace is Jesus. It's a person. It's not a concept. Again, as Paul writes in Ephesians, he writes about the enmity between Jews and Gentiles here, but this could apply to the enmity between anyone. It could apply to Jews or Gentiles or Frank and Dean or you and whoever, right? He, Paul writes this, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Listen to this, this is radical. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The good news, as someone said, the good news is even gooder than we thought. In Jesus Christ, any and all, any and all of the dividing walls between us have been destroyed. Humanity is playing catch up with what the Lord did. And the church facilitates that catching up process, both internally and externally. Our peacemaking efforts live from this new reality that is established in Jesus and the radical claim it makes. Still the song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? You and I were there. Our hostility, our sin was there, dying on the cross with Jesus. We were there. And this is what keeps us going. And when we inevitably feel outmatched, 
outgunned in our efforts to make peace, we remember that he himself is our peace and he is risen. I'll say it with Frank. I think it's about time, don't you? May it be so for you and me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.